So we're going to continue our dis- discussion from Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we're discussing from the fourth chapter in which uh, which is titled um, yeah, that's better. Okay, good. Good, perfect. Almost. <laughs> which is entitled uh, Gyan Yoga, but um, uh, the chapter is introduced, as we know from our earlier discussion, with uh, kind of say, uh, a... Uh, A, uh, I want to say, uh, what do you call it? A um, kind of departure from the from the um, or, or so it would appear a stream of thought about about yoga, Krishna speaking about karma yoga and and, and gyan yoga and gyan yoga. This chapter is entitled gyan yoga, but this is a, a section about avatar tattva, but it really fits quite well. Um, and um, and the overall scheme of what Krishna is talking about in the context of his dissertation about yoga, which, we, as we heard the other night, is really about bhakti yoga, right? And when he talks about karma yoga, nishkam karma yoga, he talks about gyan yoga, he'll talk about dhyan yoga or astanga yoga, and really all of the things that are um, to be attained by those are attained independently of them in the context of bhakti yoga and something more, of course. And it's the something more that the bhakta's heart is aching for in these first six chapters. The first six chapters are largely about the atma. Many people will find that very interesting because it's talking about yourself at the end of the... um, theoretical explanation of the Atma, Sankhya section of the first of the second chapter where Krishna begins to take uh, take the discussion from Dharma to uh, Vedanta, from Dharma Jignasu to Brahma Jignasu. Um, he ends that section, of course, as we know, uh, by saying, and what can be said about the Atma, it's amazing. So you're learning that you're amazing. It's pretty flattering. It's uh, it's uh, kind of easy easy to take, in a sense. Although the Gita is, at the same time, separating Arjun and the readers from their false sense of identity. It's very positive in the sense that it's speaking about identity that that is far more uh, sustainable uh, and. Um, um, beautiful and amazing, really, as um then this body-mind complex identity here, which is here today and gone tomorrow. So, if you can, you know, embrace that letting go in relation to the positive discussion of the Atma, then it's, it's very positive. But oftentimes, um, 
uh, readers of the Gita, when they get to the middle section, which is the theological section of the Gita, Krishna starts speaking about himself, uh, they are always not as as, as enthused. Um, he sounds very uh, like uh, uh, self-centered hmm? and uh, egotistical, and it's all about him. So it's big. Now the focus has changed from all about you to all about him. So sometimes novices and those who are, don't have any bhakti samskar may find the first six chapters more more interesting. Uh, the famous Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who founded the School of Transcendental Meditation, I think he tried to copyright the name. Um, he was out and about in the uh, 60s and 70s, a time when Prabhupada was also in America. Um, and he was uh, from the Shankar Dwaitan lineage. I don't know everything about his history, but he was an Advaitin. And um, he wanted to give kind of a contemporary, user-friendly, Western version of Vedanta and meditation and get people involved and, and so forth. And he wrote a commentary on the first six chapters of the Gita, <laughs> just to give an example. Uh, the theological section gets a little mythological, and, and let's just keep it with the Atma. You know, our consciousness, consciousness is beautiful, wonderful, eternal, knowing, blissful, so forth and so on. But, as I mentioned, from the Bhakta's point of view, huh, this avatar section here is just a great relief. We're just really waiting to get to the seventh chapter, where Krishna starts talking about himself. Because we know... He's far more beautiful and charming <laughs> and amazing than, than all of us put together, all of us, Madhajivas, Tatasta Shakti, mm-hmm. conditioned by matter. So it's a break in action, so to speak, of what's, what's from the bhakti point of view, very boring. Mm-hmm. Important, uh, and of course, bhaktis are at different levels of understanding and need the understanding. Understanding of the nature of the self, uh, but now the nature of the self in relation to the supreme self. So, it's what we call sambandagyan, right? This is this is a a a, a Gaudiya Vaishnava uh, term. Sambandagyan, abhidayagyan, prayojangyan. This was the, the opinion of Sriman Mahaprabhu himself that the scriptures speak to us in uh, within these three divisions of conceptual orientation and the path and the fruit, the goal. Conceptual orientation is one in which the Atma is understood to be different from the Maya Shakti, Satasta Shakti, and and also both of them are different from the Vishnu Tattva and the Sarup Shakti and so forth. So uh, now this difference between the Atma and Bhagawan is coming here in this section. And so, in a context of giving um, Sambandagyan, the, knowl- the knowledge of the likeness between the Atma and Brahman, that is not, it may be part of Sambandagyan, but it's a real negative, small part. The difference between the Atma and Brahman is, is more important from the Bhakti point of view. Hmm? Right. It makes for the possibility of interaction between the Atman and Bhagavan and the whole um, interplay, uh, exchange of bhakti. Hmm? 
So, um, so K- Krishna here is going to is this is what he's doing with his like I say a, a, a small short section on avatar tattva gives us a little relief from what from the more advanced Bhakti's point of view or the boring section of the painful section of of, of the Gita. Hmm? Um, as important, of course, as as it is. That's just one way of talking about it, and relative to to the to, to the uh, the section that we're in, Krishna is going to speak about himself. In fact, he already has. He says, "I taught this a long time ago, right? Hmm? And uh, I gave it to, to people of high character, and they've passed it down. This is a system that I've created, and I'm I'm behind it. I I, I back it up. Um, recently, I heard uh, from." One of our devotees was in another um, yatra, and uh, they had some issue with the teacher, and so they were going to take the picture of the teacher from the altar, and then some of them said, well, you know, maybe we just keep Prabhupada's picture there and do the Ritvik thing, which is a Ritvik vod, is, you know, kind of a, a new and, uh, relatively speaking, modern form of Apasadanta in the name of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You know, you know that Bhaktivinoda Thakur singled out, I think, 13 different sects, all of whom affiliated themselves with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, none of whom um, were in um, in concert with the, the Siddhanta of Rupasami, the founding Acharyas, so he considered them heterodox. Hmm. Um, so this is another form of uh, heterodox form of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There's a problem in the Guru Parampara. Is the is the issue? There's a problem. There's a there's a which is built into the teaching of the Gita that this could happen. So don't be too surprised. Uh, Krishna is saying it to Arjuna in the Gita a long long time ago. This happens sometimes. What he also says, and this is in the verse we heard the other day, yesterday. The solution to the problem. He doesn't just say sometimes there's a problem with it. He also says, but here's the solution. Hmm? So the, the the problem that occurs in the Guru Parampara is resolved by the Guru Parampara. Hmm? Parampara literally means literally means one after another. So you have to have one, and you have to have another, and another, and another, and if one fails to uphold the ideal in, in a way that's um, uh, required for, for, for whatever reason, then we need another one. <laughs> that's the that's the solution. Hmm? So it's not the solution to the problem, my point is, in the Guru Parampara that may arise, is not to stop the Guru Parampara. That's not the solution. That's You've just thrown, as they say, the proverbial uh, baby out with the bath water, mm-hmm. right? She went down the, the drain of the tub, unfortunately. And everything is lost then. That's how bad of a solution the Ritvik Vod idea is. It's a very bad idea. Puri Goswami marched it very, very dangerous when he first heard heard about it. Promote Puri Goswami marched that was coming out in, uh, you know, a couple decades ago and so forth. So... So, um, so at any rate, our Krishna is, has spoken about 
the system himself, the originator of the system, how it goes on, how he backs it up. And now he says something else here. It's connected with the first two verses. He says, So now, uh, today, Adya, um, I'm going to speak to you about, again, Yoga Prokta Paratana. Paratana means very old. So again, he's reiterating what he said in the first first verse. This is a very ancient teaching. It's been around for a long time. It's not a new, fangled, fly-by-night uh, idea. Make it up as you go along. Hmm? I was asked uh, a question um, today by Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj from the, uh, the Bhakti? Bhakti Rakshak Swami Maharaj, whom I haven't met personally, but is a friend of His Holiness Padmanabh Swami. So through him, he asked a question about the idea or the, the saying, the statement that the guru is an autocrat. What does it mean that the guru is an autocrat? And, uh, I, you know, obviously this question comes up a little bit in relation to the fact that, well, there's sometimes problems with the Guru Parampara, as we heard in the previous verse. So, um, what Krishna is saying here is that this is an ancient teaching. I gave the example the other day of the Ivy League. Right? So it's been around for a long, long time. And along with a lineage of teachers, you have a body of literature that is, that is a scriptural, the scriptural canon of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is, was originally, of course, penned by the Goswamis in their books, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Priyat Bhagavatamrita. Super important, important books for anyone who's going to practice, so to speak, or teach Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? And commentaries on the Bhagavatam, commentaries on the Gita. We have the Chaitanya Charitamrita that takes the Goswami's books, as I've said before, and condenses them. It's the essence, the stilled essence of the Bhagavatam, which they're drawing from, and so forth. So we have quite a few literatures, and then there's an ongoing contribution of literatures to the lineage that would conform with, with, with uh, previous texts and they may grow them, so to speak, and, sh- and shed light on further implications of those teachings and how they may be understood in light of uh, time and circumstances in terms of applying oneself to uh, progress and, and so forth. So what's the point that I'm making? Yes, how to understand that the Acharya, it said the Acharya is autocratic. Hmm? Well, or is an autocrat. He's an autocrat. In one sense, this means what? That he represents Krishna. Krishna is an autocrat. Krishna is Swarat, fully independent. Sometimes we find in Chaitanya Charitamrita charming sections where the where the um, uh, the independence of Mahaprabhu is admitted by his devotees after he took sannyas. Anyway, you you are you're an independent 
You can do whatever you like. No one can control you. When he was going to go to South India after coming to Puri and converting the whole of Jagannath Puri, you can't imagine how huge of an event this was for a 25-year-old lad to come and convert, conquer the Jagannath Puri, which was unconquerable by the, by the entire Muslim occupation and invasion of India. I mean, that's, of course, militarily speaking. Hinduism was protected there, and Jagannath was, protect, was protected Hmm? But in comes this young boy from Bengal and converts the king hmm? and gives an understanding of Jagannath that is that is uh, that is that is staggering to the king himself and to Sarvabhoma but the charge of Chaitanya Shrishti Brahm Sankirtan and they're celebrating that they're the, the, the method to the worship of, of of Jagannath, who Mahabrabhu saw wearing a peacock feather, his his vision, and bearing a, a flute. Hmm? What was the Rathiyatra, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? This is the most esoteric festival in all of Gaudi Vaishnavism, right? Hmm? So, and the, the the method of worship that went along with this conception was this Prems and Girtan. Was the is who was it said? Sarvoma or Gopinathachar. This is the creation of Chaitanya Shrishti. He created it. It's come from him. We've never seen this kind of worship before. So he conquered the whole of Jagannath Puri, captured the king, king's gurus, um, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, Kasinath Mishra. And after a short time, he wanted to go to South India. There are different reasons, of course for that, but not all of which were known to everyone. And and the devotees, out of affection for him, they gave reasons that he shouldn't go and so forth. But ultimately they acquiesced and, and they said, well, you know, you're uh, Ishwar, Sotantra, you can do whatever you like. You're independent. No one can control you. Hmm? We admit. Mahaprabhu hmm? um, ultimately con- convinced them, I think, by saying he had to go find his his, his his brother. Oh, well, that's it. For that, you have to go. Yes, yes. Which takes it down to a very sweet level. Hmm. Hmm. But um, he also, of course, had to meet, was unstated by himself, but stated through, unknowingly, the significance of, of, of stated through Sarbhoma Bhattacharya, you should meet that fellow Ramananda at Godavari. He's odd. Like you, I could never figure him out. But now, hearing from you, I see this. He's a very exalted person, and you have something in common. But at any rate, the point is, there are a number of instances in which the independence of the of the sannyasi Mahaprabhu is admitted by his devotees. His autocrat means no one can control him. Hmm? So no one can control Krishna. He can do uh, as as he likes. Um, you have uh, in Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur Pator's lineage this idea um, of forming a governing body for a mission. He, you know, he, he took the teachings of the Goswamis as he got them from Bhakti Vinod Thakur and then he sought under the inspiration of Bhakti Vinod Thakur to form an institution to further facilitate their dissemination and the practice of those teachings. And um, 
what is the point? And hmm. yeah, um, I got that point. And um, hmm. so, so, hmm. so he formed one of the things that he did from an institutional point of view was uh, form a governing body to manage the affairs of the society hmm? and make major decisions for the group, right? And um, and after his um, departure from the world, then how they would go forward and so forth was to be determined by, by, by the governing body. Hmm? Um, really what was supposed to happen was was the governing body was supposed to be Krishna conscious enough that when Krishna revealed hmm, a, for example, a, a qualified successor, they would acknowledge him. Hmm? Not that they would decide who was most who was qualified. Krishna will decide. This was Prabhupada's idea. Self-effulgent. The charya is self-effulgent. It's not something that we... We, we, to use Prabhupada's term, rubber stamp or something like that. Hmm. Put a rubber stamp, must be an English term. They had a lot of rubber stamps on Every paper had to be stamped by the British system. So, um, so how then, the question has been in some of the uh, streams coming from Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitha to harmonize these ideas that the, the independence and the autocracy, if you will, of the form of government coming from the Acharya and uh, the uh, GBC. Hmm. I think that um, the uh, uh, Pujapad Keshav Maharaj and Keshav, Keshavji Gaudiya the godbrother of Prabhupada, from whom Prabhupada took sannyas, who had taken sannyas from Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, he um, had a very good idea about this. His idea was that the Acharya, who would succeed him, would be an autocrat. He would be independent. Hmm? However, with regard to management, which is a relative affair, how things should be managed, as opposed to Siddhanta, which is not relative, hmm? out of deference to the founding Acharya, who is Keshav Marj, the successive Acharya, successor Acharya, would defer to the management committee on uh, affairs of management. Well, would, rather than get in there himself and I'm an autocrat and this is how it should be and God has spoken. Hmm? It's um, There's some relativity to the management. It could go this way, it could be done that way, and so forth. And he, at the same time, would be autocratic, if you will, or absolute. Hmm? Another way of saying it, uh, uh, with regard to the Siddhanta. Interpreting, explaining the Siddhanta to the GBC, governing body, and all the devotees, and what he would say, this is the Siddhanta. Yes, then the, the GBC would acknowledge. And they didn't want to say that he's not autocratic in all respects, but that he would defer to the desire of the previous Acharya, the founding Acharya, that the GBC 
would have the final word for management. Hmm. So it was a very, I thought it was very well done way of working with these two uh, dynamics, a relative and managerial kind of uh, rajasic uh, um, necessity and a sattvic necessity on the other hand, acharya, teaching objectively, did it in a detached way, um, and so forth. Um, but what I want to say further on in this regard is is that that the guru is autocrat, an autocrat because Krishna is an autocrat. No one can control him. No one can tell him what to do, although he is controlled by the love of his devotees. That's another thing, right? But he himself, what does he say in the Gita? He says that I follow the Shastra. So this is an ancient teaching, and it's been around a long time with the teaching being passed from one successor to another, to another, to another. It's an oral tradition in that regard with a very considerable literary um, edifice or legacy as well, right? So we have Gaudiya Vaishnavism in particular. It's a particular interpretation of the broader body of revelation. Hmm? We look at the Bhagavatam in a particular way and so forth. We look at the Gita in a particular way. We support from the texts how we do that, and we have our own commentaries, which are sacred, and and uh, texts like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's a canon, scriptural canon for us, or Chaitanya Charitamrita. <laughs> One fellow once told me, he said, that um, was a discussion on the nature of bhakti, what, definition of bhakti, and I suggested, you know, some what Rupa Goswami, how he's defined it. He said, well, that was a, not a bad idea. But um, then he started to take the verse and interpret the verse because he knew Sanskrit. And I said, you know, I think we might want to follow the interpretation, explanation of the verse by Rupa himself instead of just taking the verse. Yeah, that's a good verse. I heard that verse before. And not looking where it is in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, what, 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 it's, what the context is, what Jiva Goswami has said about it and our how it's been understood for a long, long, long time, just taking the words and the word meanings and and um, and so forth. So I said, you know, this is not the way to do this. Uh, we have a particular interpretation of the scripture. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is a scripture for us. Um, and um, he wanted to do the same thing with certain Bhagavatam verses and so forth. And then he replied to me, he said, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself said, that the uh, that the Bhagavatam is yeah, so I'm just going to go to the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. I said, "You mean Krishna does Kaviraj?" Goswami said that. Do you understand the point? He was quoting Chaitanya Charitamrita without kind of realizing it. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. Who, who's saying that? Who said he said that? This is Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami saying. So you, you can't get around Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami. You can't get around Rupa Goswami. Neither do we want to. They are taking the larger body of text, the Bhagavatam, which is interpreted by different sects, hmm? although none of them make it its, its main, their main book. 
other than maybe the Balabas, maybe the Nimbarkis too, but um, not in the same way that we do. Hmm? Um, and uh, so we have to go with our, we have a set kind of founding Acharya's interpretation of the broader body of texts, which then become our scriptural canon. So the point is what? That we have in the Guru Parampara teachers, and they're autocratic because they are representing Krishna, who's an autocrat, but the supreme autocrat himself, what does he say in the Gita? He says, I abide by the scripture because if I didn't do that, then everything would be lost. The people will follow others who set a standard of good character. Hmm? So, my standard of good character is that I follow the scripture. Krishna follows the scripture. You might say, I don't know if he followed it in Vrindavan, but it looks like he's not following it, right? <laughs> At times. Uh, but, if you go deeper into the Shastra through the Godi of Vaishnava, I know he is following it. This is what the scripture is actually talking about. Hmm? There's only an appearance of that. So the point is what? That the, uh, the Acharya is an autocrat, but he's an autocrat for a reason. Hmm? Because he, he, he knows the, the, the tattva, the siddhanta, and he follows that and he presents that. That's how he's autocratic. Hmm? He's not, he's not, to say he's an autocrat doesn't mean he's independent of the scriptures. Hmm? He's an autocrat because he follows the scriptures. So if he's not following the scriptures, then, well, his autocracy and um, his uh, position, for example, in the Guru Parampara, then becomes in question, and we have the problem that Krishna says sometimes occurs. Does that help? Some answer. Um, uh, right. Hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah. So that's why I often say, we have to know what to approach the guru for hmm? because there are all types of relative topics and subjects of the world that in one sense he's not going to be absolute on because there's no absolute opinion on them. I think the Catholics dealt with this a long time ago when they made the determination that the Pope was infallible in their terms when it came to issues of faith and morality. So, and not with regard to whether they went to the moon or, or something like that, or whether there's going to be a war, or who should I marry, or should I do this or should I do that, right? So we go to the guru for a special kind of knowledge. And as Krishna is saying it here, rasyam, uttamam, paktosi mesakachiti, he says, this is an ancient teaching. He reiterates from the previous verses. I'm telling it now to you today for a reason. We'll get to that. Well, he basically says, because you're my devotee, because you're a devotee, because you're my friend, bhaktosi me, sakachit. It's the first time in the Gita that bhakti, the word bhakti, appears. So you can see, ah, oh, finally, we're going to talk about bhakti a little bit. If you're going to talk about bhakti, you have to talk about Bhagwan. 
sometimes I say, well, don't get Krishna wrong if you think he's just full of himself. In this middle chapters, I referred to earlier the theological section where he's talking about himself. He's only talking about himself because the subject is bhakti, and he has to be talk about himself, and he's going to talk about bhakti because he's the object of bhakti. Hmm? Here he's the object of Arjuna's bhakti. Hmm? We'll have to go into that a little bit. But what he tells Arjuna is that, uh, that rahasyam uttamam, I'm going to tell you some uh, some secrets now. It's the supreme secret. This is not jnana or karma, varnashram dharma, right? Hmm? This is bhakti. Hmm. And part of that, so, so now, now the knowledge, this is another way in which the chapter is about knowledge. Here some sambandha jnana comes. Hmm. Knowledge not only, well, we've heard previously about the, the nature of the atma, the difference between the atma Tatasta Shakti and the Maya Shakti, but now the nature of Bhagawan, the difference between himself and the Maya Shakti we'll hear, the difference between himself and the, and the Jiva Shakti. Hmm? And he's going to tell Arjun uh, uh, something uh, uh, confidential, uncommon knowledge. We go to the Guru for uncommon knowledge, not for common knowledge. We can get that anywhere. Hmm? That's why he lives in a, in the jungle. Right? <laughs> why? What's he doing out there? Right? Hmm? He or she not interested in the common knowledge, which doesn't provide a comprehensive solution to the problems of life. It looks like it looks at the world. The, the, the ordinary view is the, there are some problems in the world. The guru's view is the world is a problem. I was talking with. Brindarani the other day, and she was watching um, some um, movies, clips about nature, right? How nature works. Uh, the you know, very nicely done life in the jungle, in the desert. You know how this butterfly, this 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 uh, caterpillar turns into a butterfly. How this bird has to do this whole dance in order for to get a mate and so forth and. It's very beautiful, the intricacies of nature and so forth. Hmm? But, but she couldn't. She just couldn't get away from the fact that the whole thing, as beautiful, and intricate, and connected, meaningful it would seem as it is, is just full of fear. Jivo jiva sijivanam, and one is getting eaten by the other. And whose side are you going to be on? When you see the, you know, the some kind of water buffaloes running, and here come the the, the lions. Hmm? You want the poor, the poor water buffaloes to defeat the lions. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a human uh, sentiment. But is it fair for the lions to go hungry? Right? Hmm? They have to eat too, and that's the nature of the world. So you just can't. You can't get away from it. So that fear is all-pervading. Krishna said at the beginning of his discourse on yoga, This kind of yoga, bhakti yoga, I'm telling you, will save you from all fear. Fear is the most pervasive thing in this world. Everyone is 
on some socially fear. How will I do at the party, at the social gathering? How will I come off on that level to, you know, real uh, life-threatening dangers at every step, at every turn? I mean that that's that takes a little bit of sattvic intelligence, right? The kind of intelligence devotees have to look at nature so beautiful and see that. What does the Bhagavatam say? A very beautiful verse I'd like to cite. Ayurharati Vaipumsam Udyanastanjayanaso. The rising and setting of the sun, so beautiful. And the Bhagavatam says it's with its rising and setting of the sun it's killing everyone. Hmm. Except except those that are doing Uttamasloka Kata. Hmm? Speaking about he who is described by the supreme poetry, poetry invested with Rati. Hmm? Ordinary poetry can give ordinary rasa, but ordinary poetry cannot give bhakti rasa. But if you take bhakti rati, bhakti rasa, the basis of which is Rati, and you invest it poetically to try to express it. That kind of poetry, Krishna's found there. There, there, there. You can get bhakti rasa. So, so rasya uttamam. This is not ordinary knowledge. Even within, um, knowledge is not ordinary. right? Knowledge of the Atma and the difference between the Atma and matter and the oneness between, between Atma and Brahman, hmm? the basic Vedanta idea of knowledge, this is not for everybody. This is very rare. This is what is uh, predominant in the uh, Upanishads, Upanishad, right? Sit close, because it's not for everybody. Everybody won't understand it. So, if you come close, I whisper it into your ear, impart the mantra, this kind of knowledge. Now, within the context of that, special knowledge, secret knowledge, rasyam, means secret. Hmm? This bhakti is most secret. It's most secret. It's most difficult to understand. It's so simple. And that's why it's so difficult to understand. Pujapatridamaraj used to give the example of Alexander the Great or Columbus. Two nice examples. It is said was said whoever could untie the Gordian knot would be able to conquer India amongst the Greeks. So so many big warriors came, powerful guys, and they tried to untie the knot and they couldn't. And the young boy, Alexander, said, I can do it, and everybody laughed at him and said, Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, let's see you try it. So we went and pulled out a sword and undid the knot. And everybody said, well, I mean, I could have done that. But they, didn't, they didn't think about it. They just tried to untie it with their hands. He pulled out a sword and cut it, and he, he became the conqueror of India. But Columbus said it was said, whoever can balance an egg on its end, stand it up straight, will be able to sail the oceans. Which was to say, nobody can sail the oceans and come back. Hmm? She said, well, I can do it. And so they gave him the egg. So he took the egg and went, made a little 
dent in it and send it up, set it up straight. <laughs> oh, anybody could do that, but he went, right? For better or worse. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, but he used to give these kind of examples for bhakti. It's 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 kind of a common sense, but it's not very common sense. is kind of rare at the same time. Overtly, nishkam karma or gyan or dhyan, astanga yoga, will look spiritual. Whereas bhakti, I mean, Krishna is an enjoyer. You know the story of the Christian who told one of our monks once that our God is the, you know, is the embodiment of sacrifice and yours is like selfish centered enjoyer obviously we've got the right god and you've got the wrong god hmm. so i replied i said well if you've got a sacrificer there's got to be someone who's who's receiving the results of the sacrifice on the other end there is a center there is an enjoyer that's krishna but even like puja patridamar used to say that when he was young he was attracted to the nobility and the sacrifice of Ram, Ramchandra. Ramchandra, you know, he, he, he was said to become the heir to the kingdom and everybody loved him and, and he was the rightful heir. But by some political intrigue and um, bad association on the part of one of the, uh, one of the king's uh, wives, he was exiled, right? And he took it nobly, and because if he didn't take it, his father's word would have been um, um, uh, not come true. Hmm. Uh, his father had to uphold. It. Anyway, you know the story. Um, he had to get given a benediction to his, one of his wives. If you ever want anything, you ask. I'll give it. So she asked that Ram be banished because she had bad association, and it was a bad idea. But Ram said, "Well." I can't let my father's word go, be broken, so I'll be banished. And eh, so many things in Ram's life, very, very strict adherence to the Dharma, very, very sacrificing type compared to Krishna. And then, 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 then through Chaitanya Charitamrita, you can't understand about Krishna better, but simply like Radha more, the sacrificing side of Radha and Krishna, he went slightly on that side. But point being that um, not only Krishna, but devotees of Krishna, they may be, take the example of our Acharya Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur driving in a motor car and um, engaging in what is uh, activities that are also done for material purposes, publishing books and... Uh, managing missions and, and so on and so forth. Previous to that, it was customary amongst Gaudi Vaishnavas to sit in the, one of the doms in Puri or Navadweep, Vrindavan, and do bhajan. Hmm. So he was interacting with the world and didn't overtly appear as as spiritual. There are other extreme examples like Oh, um, Bamsi Das Babaji, or um, the other one I'm thinking of, Ingor Leela, Radharani's father, Pundarik Vidyanidhi, 
Pundarik Vidyanidhi looked like an ordinary person, right? Um, so it said, Vaishnavera Kriyamudur Bhignina Bhujai. It's difficult to understand the Vaishnava because his or her motive may be hard to detect and their activities may not overtly appear spiritual. Instead of fasting, uh, they're feasting, for example. So, so within the context of secret uh, uh, knowledge, this bhakti is most secret. Therefore, it's rahasyam uttamam the most secret of secrets I'm going to speak to you about. So he's going to speak directly about bhakti hmm, by way of speaking about himself, the object of bhakti, who, before Arjuna, now, of course, he's, he's the Vishaya Lambana, the object of love for Arjuna in Sakyarasa. Bhaktosi me sakajiti rahasya hiyetaruttamam. You are my devotee, you have bhakti, hmm, and you, uh, uh, you are my friend. Hmm? This, of course, um, taken to the full measure of its implications, um, highlights really what the Mahabharata is all about. We can say the Mahabharata is really all about the Bhagavad Gita. And we will have made a, a pretty good assessment of the text. Because ostensibly the whole Mahabharata is about the moral good, right? When we come to the Gita, now it's about the absolute capital G good rather than the moral good, which is relative and and um, um, if you press down here, as I say, it comes up there. You press down there, it comes up here. It's, it's, so we go to the absolute transcend where 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 good becomes bad where the moral good also becomes bad hmm? both bad um, yeah yeah this is a big thing where the bad where the good also becomes bad it's hard to digest. Again, this is a special kind of knowledge. Gita is about this in many respects. More, of course, it's about Krishna and Bhakti. Hmm? So the Gita is kind of like the heart of the Mahabharata. If you want to take religion and look to its heart, it's going to be esoteric and mystical. And in its extended body, it's going to be moral and deal with how to live in this world day to day, rather than to move beyond the limits of how to be a good human Rather is a moral idea rather than you're not a human. Human life gives you the chance to realize that you're more than human. right? So to say that the, the Bhagavad Gita is what the Mahabharata is really all about, I mean it is it does come at a time in the text of Mahabharata, where everyone's on the edge of their seats, what's going to happen? The wars, you know, it's been building up. There's been political and romantic intrigue and so forth going on for chapters and chapters and verses and verses. And now it's, they tried by um, diplomacy, but now this 
fratricidal war is going to take place. So everyone's paying attention, and here come the Upanishadic teachings of the Gita. So it's 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 good to say, but we have to take a step further. What the Mahabharata's really about, what the Gita's about, is really about Arjuna's love for Krishna. Hmm. This is such a huge thing. How, what kind of friendship Arjuna and Krishna have? Hmm. He's uh, 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 given as, a, as an example in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of Rupa Goswami as a Purasambandi, a friend of Krishna in the, in the city, a metropolitan friend, which is different than the Braj friends. Hmm. That's another thing. That's kind of like almost off the map. We could come to that, but first try to digest what what it means to be a friend of Krishna through the example of Arjuna. Hmm. We said that Krishna is speaking about himself here in this chapter. He is the object of Arjuna's love. Hmm. He's... he's um, He's described as having lotus feet and iron arms, iron-like arms, the uh, Krishna, as seen by Arjuna. means his feet are beautiful. Hmm? What to speak of the rest of him is the point, right? Unless you're, you know, whatever. You know, feet are not considered... <laughs> to be the most beautiful part of the body, and especially in a barefoot culture, right? Hmm? So the bottoms of his feet are soft as a lotus, and lotus is the emblem of beauty, so to speak, in the, in the, uh, in the anesthetic literature. So he's soft and tender and beautiful like a lotus, and his arms like iron. What does it mean? That means that his embrace of Arjuna is iron-like. Hmm? It's unbreakable. Hmm? Unbreakable embrace. This is how Arjuna uh, sees him. His his he's he's given as an example of someone who in Sakirasa who to, to illustrate Utkantita. Utkantita is the uh, is the equivalent of Purvarag in Madhurya Rasa. Before meeting Krishna, falling in love with him, by hearing about him. Um, um, uh, in this case of Arjuna. Um, in the military school of art, the school of military arts in Duryodhan, he found he came across a drawing of Krishna. Hmm. Someone had drawn a picture of Krishna, and he wept and yearned, longed. Of course, he's an eternal associate, right? But here, in the Prakat Lila, then there has to be a beginning because the Lila is going in a linear way, meeting him. So Utkantita, a form of separation. The longing of Arjuna is cited. Hmm. And then the first meeting after Ut, there's um, yoga and ayoga. There's union and separation in Sakirasa. Hmm. And, uh, and then different types of meeting and different types of separation. So within separation, Utkantita, and then within meeting, the first type of union, Siddhi, meeting him for the first time. Through separation we go, and we have union, right? Then there will be separation after union and another kind of meeting and so forth, right? So first meeting was, uh, I think he was in, in 
He married Draupadi, who's also in Sakyarasa. And um, daughter of Draupada. They were in the Draupada's, whatever, area, kingdom, when Krishna happened to come and he met him for the first time. Hmm? Beautifully uh, described how overwhelmed Krishna was. I mean, Arjuna was, and Krishna. Hmm? So these are the, 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 these are, may appear, for example, in Mahabharata, you, you can find touching scenes like this. Hmm? Just like friends meeting and so but understood properly, this is oh, such a high thing. That's why I say this is what Mahabharata is really about. It's really about Bhakti Rasa. If you look very, very carefully, the relationship basically between the Pandavas and the Krishna. Their love for one another. This is higher than this is this this is higher than the Upanishadic teaching of the uh, of the Gita, if you will. It's of course the Gita goes there. It goes there. It points in that direction. It touches that, and then passes the torch to the Bhagavatam. It's theological sequel. You enter into the world of Bhakti Rasa, where it's clear in the Bhagavatam that the text, as I say, is not about how strong Krishna is, but how weak he is. It's all about how weak he is. It means how how much under the influence of love of his devotees he is. What how that that is what Krishna is, the absolute controlled the the autocrat controlled by love. Hmm. So. Arjun, Bhaktosi Mesakachiti, Rahasiti Eterutamam. His love, he's also given, cited as an example of Rag. His, so there's going to be developments within the um, Sakyarasa, hmm? the Stayibhav of Sakya. So Pranay, Prem, Sneha, Rag, Anurag. Mahabhav, hmm? it can go that far if your Sakyaras is, is, is touched, influenced by Madhuryaras. Otherwise, up to Rag. So, Pranay, Prem, Sneha, Rag. Hmm? What is the example of Rag? Rag is is a is an intensification of the Stayibhav, and it occurs in, in the different Stayibhavs, like Vatsalya or Madhurya, uh, and some dasas also, some of the dasas, most of, the, if not all of the dasas, practically almost all, in dasya bhaktis in Braj, their bhakti reaches up to the stage of rag. It goes there at times. They 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 express rag or they experience it, and at that time, their bhakti their their dasaras is influenced by sakya. So. Arjun, up to up to rag, rag means it, in the face of some suffering, hmm, uh, seeing, remembering, or under enduring that, because it's pleasing to Krishna, makes the suffering seem pleasant. It turns suffering, uh, pain into into pleasure. Arjun's example is what that Ashvatthama was showering Krishna with arrows, and he stood in the in the way, and took the arrows on his chest. He, he embraced a situation of extreme suffering as if it was like being thrown flowers because it was protecting his beloved Krishna and for the pleasure of Krishna. So, now you think about it. 
how much you love Krishna. <laughs> you ready to do that? Yeah. Arjun's love, of course, as I said, it's it's, it's he's a purasambandhi and his sakyarasa. So it, it it is affected by jnana. It means it is affected by the the knowledge of Krishna's godhood. So we see that in the Gita, right? In the eleventh chapter, when Krishna shows himself to be God, then Arjun Saki recedes a little to the background and acknowledges that his friend is God, takes over, and he interacts with him accor- accordingly. Hmm? So you had not now consider you, you all love Daoji Gopal, but if Daoji Gopal decided to show you universal form, would you just go anyway? Whatever, I got to get you some lunch, or would you just go? Oh my God. Hmm? You understand? <laughs> That's get, now we go from Arjun Sakirasa to the cowherd Sakirasa. Hmm? If Krishna's to show himself to be God, they go, Well you gotta eat, you know. You know? No, that may be important to other people, but you know, you gotta eat and I'm cooking. So don't bother me right now with that stuff. <laughs> this this is just gives some idea, let's tell it in a humorous way, but what is this ideal that we're pursuing? It's not Something you just grab on today because you learned something here, there, there, and you didn't even have have a guru, whatever, and you, now you think you're a rasakya or, or whatever. So much of that going on. Rasatattva is a very high thing. We should understand it from a guru, and if we do, we'll also understand how high it is and how to, where to focus to go there. Hmm? Arjun, I mean, you can't imagine what what a complete, I mean, Friend of Krishna, Arjuna is. This is just celebrated everywhere in the scriptures, everywhere. Hmm? A Parikshit Maharaj lamented in the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam to Sukadev that uh, that that you know I'm from the Kuru you know dynasty, and the, the Pandavas they were so lucky. Krishna like lived in their house, hung out with them. Hmm? And, you know, our dynasty is supposed to be better from one point of view. From that point of view, we're nothing. Hmm? This was his fine theological thinking. Hmm? And Sukadev had to had to say, well, no, you know, I forget exactly how he uh, reasoned that Prichet's related to Arjuna, isn't he? Some way. Some, some says. Yeah. Or, he, or I think he was the other way around. He, he said... The the uh, the yadus are such and such, and what is our position? You know, in comparison, he said, "No, your position is this." Hmm? Pandavas, you're with the pond. You're in that. They Krishna lives in their house. Hmm? Hung out with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a member of the yadus. Hmm? Arjun would say, "Hey, Yadava. Hey, Saka. Hmm? Hey, Krishna." He says this in the 11th chapter. When he saw Bhagavan, the Virata Rupa, that the whole universe was inside Krishna, he said, oh my God, and I used to sit on the same bed with you and say, call you, hey Yadava. What does it mean, hey Yadava? He means I was speaking in a derogatory way. Hey Yadava, you're just a Yadava. We're the Pandavas. Hmm? And my father is Pandu Maharaj. He's the king of the Pandus. And your father's Vasudev, he's just a Yadu. He's not a king of anything. Hmm? He doesn't say, 
oh, best of the Adus. Now he's thinking, I should have said, oh, best of the Adus. I just said, hey, Yadava, unless you understand it all, you don't realize how intimate Arjuna was with Krishna. Hey, Yadava, hey, hey, Krishna, he thinks, I should have said, Shri Krishna. Hey, Saka means, hey, you know, listen, equal, equal. We're equals. Don't give me that. You serve me, sometimes I serve you. Now now serve me. Something like that. This is Sakurasa. So he invokes these terms. In the Bhagavatam, later in the Bhagavatam, we find Arjuna's uh, expressing very intense separation from Krishna because he's come to where I maybe he came to Hastinapur and he had lear- he learned, he heard. Is it true that Krishna has left? And it was just overwhelming, take, 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 overtaking him. And he, and he had to work through it and, and talk about it. That's what you have to do. You have to talk about it. That will ease the pain. <laughs> There's a scripture like that, a verse that says that. <laughs> so he started talking about it. Right? In the context of talking about it, he says, that I, you know, things like, I used to call him, and, and we were so close, I used to say to him, um, Um, oh, you're very truthful and innocent. You don't, you think, well, that's it. Okay. No. <laughs> just, he's joking with him. He's saying, you're truthful. Oh, you're so truthful. You're like, what a joke. He's saying, you're truthful. Mm-hmm. But you're truthful, so. Something like that. Mm-hmm. It means he's saying, you're not truthful at all. You're, 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 you're very innocent. The guy's not innocent at all. So you see the the text, and you don't you know, doesn't have the full import unless you have good association. <laughs> Arjuna's saying, "I spoke about him." There's worse ways he said too, in a derogatory terms, just you know, in in jest. He said, hmm. "As friends," but now I see that he's God. Hmm. I see that you're God. I I shouldn't have done that. So this is where his sakurasa reaches its limit, so to speak, and we go from there. For the full measure of rahasyam uttamam, hmm, with regard to sakya, to braj, there and there we find that their love is so intimate with Krishna. Who can imagine how, what kind of things his friends call him there? Hmm? That even in the face of extraordinary aishvari, like lifting Govardhan Hill is a nice example, right? Hmm? They don't their prem, their sakya prem, is not suppressed by the knowledge of Krishna's extraordinary divine position. Mm-hmm. Rather, they put their own sticks up and try to try to support. Mm-hmm. Mother Yasoda is thinking the same thing. Krishna didn't lift the hill. It was Nanda who lifted the hill, right? Maybe Balaram helped out. He's strong. Mm-hmm. So this is their that that and that is our ideal, the prem of Braj. So you want it. They should have a, a thirst for that, and but we should know what it is. Hmm. How extraordinary. Hmm. So here in the third verse, Krishna is now about to reveal to to his friend and his devotee. It means he's been his disciple since the second chapter, where Krishna Arjuna says, 
Shishastayam Sarimamtam Prabhanam. I now surrender to you. I'm your Sishya. You teach me. So he says, you're not the body. First thing he tells him. Mm-hmm. Now here's, well, that's earth-shaking, conceptual change. Uh, okay. What do you do now? I've been functioning as if I'm the body for a long time now. Now you're telling me I'm not. It's not something you hadn't heard before, but to hear it from her. Krishna in such such a powerful way. You're a fool. What do you know? You're speaking learned words, but you know nothing. You're not this body. Nobody dies. Very heavy. Very heavy. Guru's heavy, right? So heavy. And then, so what to do about it? What do I do now that you've like, I've heard this, I know this, you know, of course, that scriptures say that, but I mean, Arjuna was in a teachable moment. He's in a crisis at that time. You can say the whole crisis is brought on to teach Arjun how much he loves Arjun, the whole the whole war, everything, to create this moment, to, just to, to to give full sakyabhakti to Arjuna. Hmm? So in his crisis, he can he can he can hear, he can listen better, and so now it sinks in. I mean, everybody in Vedic culture knows you're not the body. They've heard that, right? But what do you do about it? It's just something some crazy people in the woods do, or. Or, you know, when you become godlike at some point, after you have good sons and daughters, and carry on, you know, uh, Dharma, the commons, I say, and moksha. Shh, moksha. We don't talk about that too much. It's there. But, but now it's impressed upon Arjun. Hmm? He had shown himself in the first chapter of the Gita to have fully, exhaustively inquired into the nature of Dharma. Dharma Jignasu. He gave very nice answers on the basis of Dharma, why he should not fight. So having become a, a person of good moral character, an exhausted inquiry into the nature of Dharma, and assimilated the answers, he's now ready for Brahma Jagnasu, inquiry, inquiry into Brahman. So, again, teachable moment. So Arjun Krishna teaches him, and then he, having get, given that theoretical knowledge, what do I do with this? I'm not the body, but that's all I can see. What, what, what do I do with it? That's called yoga. That's a different way of acting. You twist your body up like you know, different positions and so forth. You go inward rather than outward. You move within. This is the yoga. This is the way to move and traverse on the inner interior landscape. That's the uh, that's the vehicle, right? And then, you know, really he's teaching bhakti yoga. It's all said and done, as we've explained, bhakti yoga. So, bhaktosi mesakachi. Now, he's got him at a certain point where he feels he can tell him something significantly more than what he's told him so far, which after this short little section on Avatar Tattva, he'll go back to more lower-level knowledge, move through the fifth and sixth chapter, and then, then the theology, which a little sampling of which we have here in the fourth chapter, will be the, will be the dominant feature of the whole middle six chapters of the Gita. Hmm? So... He says, you have some eligibility now 
I've been teaching you now for quite a few verses, and 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 now I'm, I I see that you're you're uh, You have some uh, eligibility for receiving an, another inst- installment hmm, of this. I take it to 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 another level here. So everything's not taught uh, at once. So it's a special day today. Today he says, "I'm going to tell you something very special." So Arjun's listening up to something all about Krishna's descent. Shri Krishna Bhagavan ki jai, Krishna Arjun ki jai, Raji Gopal ki jai, Gauri Vishnath Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi. Any question? Yes, sir. Yes. In the East, too. Well, he wrote letters before he departed. No, but he meant that officiate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's right. Well, the difference is that if you're officiating um, in terms of initiation on behalf of the Acharya, then you're the Ritvik. Hmm? But the Ritvik is not the Acharya. That's the difference. So if suddenly you make the, well, uh, okay, so um, um, so I guess your question is so so Prabhupada had some officiating charges. Like sometimes Prabhupada asked me to chant on beads for disciples, which is an aspect of the the whole initiation. Sometimes he asked us to choose names from the Bhagavatam for disciples and so forth, because he had so many. Um, and yes, uh, Shudamars told us to. Some of us uh, to go and do something, start something, initiate, and if someone comes, you can't capture their faith, then you can bring that person to me, or you can initiate on my behalf. So I gave initiation, Ritvik, uh, as as Ritvik, representative of Shudamarsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but the when when the Acharya, who may have Ritvik representatives. You know, it's probably a fairly new precedent, but given kind of wide-scale dissemination of Gaudiya Vaishnavism across oceans and so on and so forth, the need for it to rise arose, and the concept of Ritvik is is there. The priest who performs the the function. Hmm? Um, you may have, for example, prob- for another example, probably was the Acharya, in whose heart. The pose of Daoji Gopal, Krishna Balaram, appeared, which then he had crafted. And then there was a big yogyan ceremony. It took three days for the installation. Well, his role was the Acharya, and then there were Ritvik priests who were doing other things. Hum, 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 get this, draw that wheat, this 
fruit, berry, this mantra, put this here. And, and then the prophet every now and then would, there would be a function for the acharya himself. He'd come out, put the tulsi leaf, go back. Hmm. Something like that. So um, that's another example. But um, But with regard to this kind of probably a newer uh, development where they were uh, in modern Gaudiya Vaishnavism, acharyas appointed someone to perform the initiation on their behalf. Hmm? Then uh, that capacity to do that obviously terminates when the acharya is no longer present to be the acharya. Hmm? So I'm doing it on behalf of the acharya, but if the Acharya departs, then the Acharya can't initiate anymore because he's not there. Hmm? When the Acharya is there, I could be a Ritvik for him, but he can also initiate. Now, if you take that away, he can't initiate anymore. How can I on his behalf? Because what does it mean he can't initiate anymore? It means Krishna's taken him. He's initiated too many. <laughs> He's he's told too many secrets. Now Krishna wants to take him to the to Goloka, cover his mouth. mouth. Don't say that about me. You know too much. You should be with me. I can't bear your separation any longer. Hmm? We say he can't initiate anymore. It's not a bad thing. Hmm? It means Krishna can't tolerate his separation anymore. Hmm? So he's taken him within his embrace. Therefore we say, what do we say? Hmm? Oh, when the Acharya is here, we say, I don't say it anymore, so, Jai, Om, Vishnupad, Paramahamsa, or when he passed away, we say, Nittilila Pravishto, Om, Vishnupad, glorify him who has entered the Nittilila, is the idea. Is that a bad thing? Hmm? Some people recently questioned that, you know, is, isn't it possible that Prabhupada is in another universe preaching. And some devotees say that it's possible that he's in another universe preaching. And I said, no, <laughs> they're not possible. <laughs> How can that not be? What do you mean it's not possible? If you understand the nature of bhakti, it's, it's not possible for Krishna to let him. There's more to bhakti than distributing bhakti. Hmm. Hmm. There's more to it than that. In fact, there's a purpose behind it. But if this distribution of it serves to foster it within oneself, then it's successful. First time a letter was written to Prabhupada about me, before I ever wrote him a letter, was about some success that we were having, and me in particular, Someone wrote a letter to Prabhupada about selling his books. And Prabhupada was very pleased. He was very pleased that Tripari is selling so many books. And then he put a little asterisk and then his own handwriting at the bottom after his signature. He said, make sure he's reading them. Hmm. So I was, but uh, still do. So the, the, there's, a, there's a purpose to it, right? Hmm. Save the world. Vasudev, the leper, wanted to save the world. Mahaprabhu was very pleased by his sentiment. Was it? Was it? Or, not the leper, but what was his name? 
I'll never forget. Anyway, another devotee of Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu was very pleased by his compassion, but he said, yeah, you're going to save the whole one universe. There's, uh, there's, uh, he gave some example. If in a herd of cows, a she-goat is lost, who will notice? He said, if one little universe falls out, there's millions and millions of universes. If one universe is liberated, this is, he's, he's saying, there's no end to this. So enough is enough. Okay. <laughs> you know, the Bodhisattva, Vow and Buddhism are going to stay in the world until everybody's liberated. That guy's never leaving. Because <laughs> this world's never never closing down. It happens to be, you know, the interaction of two of Bhagavan Shaktis, Tatasta Shakti and Maya Shakti. It's an Adi. It has no beginning and it has no end. It can end for you and you and you and you and you and you and you, all of you. And there will always be somebody because there's an infinite number of Jeevas. It's, it's going to fit that between your ears. So there's no end of the material world. So I think I'm going to stay here. To, until everyone is, is liberated, Krishna will be very pleased with your compassionate heart and say, I think you should come with me. <laughs> I like you. You're very soft-hearted. You belong with me. So once he goes, he can't initiate anymore. That's celebrated. <laughs> Well, what it came from was the fact that that um, those who immediately um, took up the service of um, initiating disciples disappointed many of the god brothers and god sisters, and, and their 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 character was lacking, their knowledge was lacking, and it showed. And um, and so you have to understand this is a this is a new phenomenon. All they knew was Prabhupada. We didn't know the rest of Gaudiya Math, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, because it was some extent asleep or just in India. I mean, we didn't know much about it at all. We didn't meet him. Prabhupada was just like going everywhere and creating a revolution and so forth, right? Within our own largely circle of social interaction, young people, in the 60s, 70s, right? Um, and so Prabhupada departs. So that's a new thing. What do you do now? Well, we didn't ever have to ask. We just asked Prabhupada what to do. But now Prabhupada's not there, what to do. So now you have to be able to go and look at the scripture, what Prabhupada says, what the teaching is, and so forth. Some people are not so good at that, hmm? right? So they reasoned that, wait a minute, Also, you have to understand this. There were many disciples of Prabhupada, and they were very enthusiastic, and everything was working great, as good as it could be, in terms of having a spiritual authority. So, there was, there was a faith was powerful, so the movement was animated. Right? Now, Prabhupada departs. Other, others come, and in the name of representing, they misrepresent and they don't they don't they, they 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 cause doubts rather than faith so then that this animated movement comes, kind of starts to become suspended hmm? and they want to go back to where they were just like you know a few months ago everything was great can we just go back there you know meanwhile i used to go in the temple and there's Prabhupada's vyasa san and we worship and now i got 11 of them in there 
Hmm? 11 Vyasa Sangha? Because there was 11 some places. Like, okay. And then I knew that guy, you know, and, you know, he's not Prabhupada, you know. So this is, it was kind of a confusing <laughs> a time, right? And, you know, uh, it was obviously um, adversely impacted by the misrepresentation that was palpable. And so, having swung towards supporting the new gurus faithfully to being disappointed, the pendulum swung in the other direction. And there was this whole thing, keep Prabhupada in the center. Keep Prabhupada in the center. Get these guys out of the center. Something was, you know. so, so, some people reasoned, well, wait a minute now, there's two forms of the guru. There's the vani and the vapu, the, the teaching, and then there's this person. And they're non different, they reasoned. So although his vapu, his person is gone, his vani is here in his book, so that's all we need. That's all we ever needed, right? Everything's in Prophet's books, right? Well, there weren't any other books, <laughs> to be honest with you, at the time. So, yeah, I guess so, that we knew about or that were available. Um, and, and, and so that just resonated with some people. Like, so we'll just take the books of Prabhupada, we'll keep Prabhupada in the center, and wait a minute, wait a minute, here's a letter where Prabhupada said, you know, then they started, some people started to debate whether these people were ever even appointed by Prabhupada, which they had to kind of say no, they weren't, because if they were appointed by Prabhupada, it might hurt their own faith in Prabhupada's infallible and everything he does, right? So their psychology was such that, that in their faith, that they had to, they were predisposed to reason that they actually weren't appointed. They were only made to be Ritvix. By Prabhupada, and there was a letter of Prabhupada saying he would be my Ritvik, or you know, yes, Ritvik, or a tape, or something like that, you know. And so then they they, they took this and made a whole theology out of it, hmm? right? So you have to understand again that certain psychology, then you're going to understand the scriptures in a certain way. Might not, that's why you need a guru to say, yeah, no, that's not exactly uh, what was intended here. So that they they questioned the whole appointment of gurus, as they called it, and then. And then, and decided what Prabhupada has done here is unique, which is everything he's done is unique. This is a new situation, new territory here, the Western world, and he has come, and we don't know anything about any other Gaudiya mission anywhere. Who are they? Whatever. And he, and he, and he's the Jagat Guru, and what he's done is given his books wherever all the teaching are, and established all these temples, and our business is to go on as we have been, distribute books, do kirtan, worship Prabhupada. And he created a Ritvik system. Hmm? And then if you say, well, that's not how it works, I'll tell you how it works. Whatever the Acharya says, that's how it works. He's an autocrat. You may say the Ritvik system is, is only, when you get the comeback, right, operative, in the presence of the Acharya, but our Acharya has said that the Ritvik system will go on even after. That's how they interpreted it. Mm -hmm. 
whatever he says trumps everything else. He's an autocrat, which is, <laughs> we explain that's not how, he, that's not the way he becomes an autocrat, by going against the very clear precedence of the scriptures. So some people were a little more grounded in the text and said, wait a minute, that makes absolutely no sense. This guy or that guy may not be very qualified to be a guru, but the Ritvik thing, that, that's, that's, that's total opposite so we got a third choice, luckily, and it's Pujapad Bhakti Rakshakshidardev Goswami Maharaj. Kijai. That's a solution. But you can, you know, give you a little feeling for the times. And, you know, it's an example. When you said the other night, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They had good intentions. They meant well. And there are some Ritvik temples. They're rich. Very successful and whatever they do, some level. Hmm. Just not the teaching, so <laughs> they're teaching something else. All right, I think we should stop there. Daji Gopalu ki jai, Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandai.